Hello. Hello. It's episode 107. 107. What's going on, Dave? Oh, uh, we're mixing it up a little. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a DJ today. <laughs> I was going to make a DJ noise, but then I realized this is... Quit, quit, quit while you're ahead. Mm-hmm. Or behind from the get-go. <laughs> Anyways, we are back after many moons. Yeah. I still feel like it's been many moons. It has been. Uh, in fact, we're gonna we're gonna address a piece of follow up that we received on July thirtieth. It is now September nineteenth. Oh my gosh! So, uh, Jerome, sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> it's <laughs> been way longer than we ever intended. This is true. Um, but we shall not make excuses. No, we shall address the follow up. Yeah. So, do you wanna? You want me to explain, and then. Yeah. You give your response. Sure. And then, okay. So a while back, back in July at some point, we uh, discussed homosexuality and the Bible and the church and Christianity. Um, I don't even think we planned to talk about it that episode, but we did. And um, Jerome, longtime listener, he says he's listened to every episode. And I believe him. <laughs> so kudos to you, sir. That's impressive. Um, wrote in with some, um, as he puts it, hopefully constructive critiques uh, of what we said, trying to, um, trying to get us to uh, consider differing opinions, which is exactly what we want when people follow up to, to help challenge um, what we think, um, which is great. Um, and then also to try and take the conversation a bit deeper, which I think is good because when we did talk about it, it was off the cuff. It wasn't planned. We hadn't done, you know, the, the, the depth of research and discussion that, um, I think is probably pretty necessary for this topic right now. Yeah. Based on the last 20 years, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe even 30 now in this country of the, the cultural and political changes in how homosexuality um, has been viewed compared to pre 1990s. Right. Um, So uh, I will read some of the things that Jerome wrote in or, or do you just want to, well, I feel he, like the he, listeners should know yeah, and yeah, we yeah. can respond. Yeah. So he says, uh, I think it's important to shift your discussion of whether homosexuality is sinful from it feels good and right, so it must be okay towards a discussion of what the Bible truly says regarding sexuality and how it applies to today's context. When you simplify the discussion to what you did, it becomes quite easy to mount a defense of the traditional view of marriage and sexuality. Of course, something isn't okay simply because it feels good. I think anyone who takes scripture seriously would agree with that. However, I don't think it can accurately be simplified to that. There are now a wealth of resources which discuss the point of view that the Bible does not, in fact, condemn homosexuality in the context of a monogamous, loving, Christ-centered relationship. Indeed, there can be a considerable argument made through Scripture of openly embracing gay and lesbian people in the church. There are many ways to dig into this, but I would point towards Ken Wilson's A Letter to My Congregation, David Gushy's Changing Your Mind, and Matthew Vine's God and the Gay Christian, as those were the resources which really helped me reconsider what I believed. And then... Uh, second point says, regarding the question of whether asking a gay person to forsake their sexuality is different than you or I avoiding lustful thoughts, I think they are completely different. If a gay or lesbian person did write in regarding this, I will defer to what they said. If not, then I'll do my best to respond. They did not write in, so we shall take 
Jerome's response. The difference is that you are asking the gay person to sacrifice a huge part of what makes them a person. We are wired, i.e. created by God, to desire relational love on many levels, and that includes, but is certainly not limited to, sexuality. Obviously, a marriage relationship is not just a mode of sexual release. It reflects our relationship with God, two people entering a sacred covenant of unconditional love. Asking someone to give this up because they were created in such a way that they find their relational counterpart in someone of the same sex is not something that should be taken lightly. Avoiding an extramarital Avoiding an extramarital affair is not something that should be placed on the same level as asking someone to give up part of their God-ordained humanity. I can assure with you, or I can assure you, that the married gay and lesbian people I know would agree that lustful thoughts or actions outside of the marriage context are sinful. Um, he says, I hope these critiques are well received and helpful in some way. I obviously don't expect to change your minds, but I do hope that maybe the discussion can at least be had in a more informed manner. Um Bum, ba, da, bum, ba, bum. That's it for first email. Mm-hmm. We can cover that, and then okay. there's a second email. <laughs> so yeah, I you know um, have a ton, and I and I say a ton. I have a lot of people in my life that are gay, um, and uh, family members, friends. Um, yes, there. I mean, coworkers. There are a lot of people in my life that are gay, and I love them dearly. Um, in fact, they're some of my favorite people because they are some of the more caring people that I encounter. Um, so I, I kind of entered into this, like excited a little bit because I wanted my view to be wrong. I wanted to be like, Oh, okay. You know, like enlightened and, uh, was maybe even prepared to sort of have to wrestle with this a little bit and really just have, uh, my worldview changed. And, uh, that didn't happen. So, um, you know, not to, no spoiler alert here, but before we go any further, I just, I I really just want to say that, um, with my view not being changed, I do not condone any kind of hate towards the LGBTQA community. And, um, I think Christians, uh, need to, um, get their act together and do a better job of loving the people that are in that community. And, uh, I think we have this problem of ranking sin and that conservative Christians do have this terrible, terrible, um, habit of making uh, gay, homosexual people feel like their sin is just one of the most atrocious of all sins. And I I think that is ridiculous. It makes me sad. And I would never, ever condone uh, anything like that. Um, And even as a police officer, I would absolutely defend somebody's right in this country of sexual expression. I would defend their right to be married. I absolutely think that is what America is about. That is what this country is about. That's what our Constitution is about. I cannot say that after looking at these resources, after rereading what the Bible says about sexuality, uh, about marriage, those sorts of things, can I arrive at a place where I would say, um, and this is maybe one of the semantics that I might clear, is that having 
homosexual desires in and of themselves are not is not sinful. Like identifying yourself as is is a homosexual. I don't I, I, like even in that. I'm just like I don't know that I'm so ready to say that that's a sin. But I think the acting out is definitely. And I don't know. Maybe I'm getting into semantics here. That is. But I would never want somebody who who has those feelings to feel like they're already condemned, I guess is what I'm saying. But I can't look at the Bible and as a Christian say, yeah, you as a homosexual couple, get married, live as Christians in the church, get married, raise a family, and in every other way other than your uh, sexual orientation, live a life that I have, and me be like... That's what God wants for you. Uh, I don't think, I, I really just don't believe that that's what God's best is uh, for anybody. Um, and uh, it, this, I mean, this just weighs heavy on me because, like I said, I, I wanted to be wrong in this, or I wanted my views to be changed, mm-hmm. and they just weren't based on what I see in Scripture and even some of the arguments that I heard. I, I really feel like a lot of what the scripture say about this is clear and it's i felt like scripture was being twisted in the resources that i read and looked at so did i answer that did i yeah i think what what might be helpful especially for listeners is to perhaps share some of the scripture references sure so that they can read for themselves sure all right so the first would be genesis 19 and that's the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13. 1 Corinthians 6.9 through 10. And 1 Timothy 1.10. And then Romans 1.26 through 27. And wasn't there something in Jude too? Did you stop it or no, we're still recording. Okay, so this is kind of a random well, it's not random. Uh so honestly, as 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 I was reading this, I uh there was even some I there are some very valid points made in a lot of these resources. Um and one of the things that you hear quite often is is that Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of their sexual immorality, uh, but they were destroyed because of their lack of hospitality. And if you're from a Middle Eastern culture, that wouldn't sound so crazy to you. If, if you're from a Middle Eastern culture, that, that's certainly... And this is something I stumbled upon, and to be quite candid with you, I felt like this was an answer to prayer for me personally, and I, I'm really not trying to, to convince anybody of anything on this topic. Um, I just, I, I really took it seriously and researched it and prayed about it and asked God to really just, my, my heart to be open to what uh, he had, and I think we've mentioned it before, is um. God, asking God to show me what I have wrong that I think I have right. And so this was kind of falls under that category for me because uh, I've had things that 
um, you know, I would have held uh, one view on, and now that's changed. And so, as I was finishing reading the Bible in 90 days, I was in Jude. And so, in the past few weeks here, I came to Jude, and Jude 1.7, it says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And so for me, I was like, here we have Jude referring to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he is saying sexual immorality and perversion was their sin. And because of that, they suffered the punishment of eternal fire. And I had no clue that that verse was ever in there. I didn't go looking for it. It wasn't something that, you know, I found. But it really kind of even came to me on a morning when I was still wrestling with this topic and just felt like God was saying very clearly to me that, yes, this is about sexual perversion. This is about sexual sin. And, you know, one of the things that I did notice in some of the resources was um, they often talk about things like sexual perversion and homosexuality and it being a very 20th century view on these type of, of uh, verses. And I, I found a, a translation from 1752 that says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities in like manner, having given themselves to fornication and going after other flesh, were made an example, suffering the punishment of, of eternal fire. And again, it, to me, it's not about a sin of inhospitality. Uh, it's a sin of, it's a sexual sin that Sodom and Gomorrah were being uh, reprimanded, destroyed. I mean, they serve the ultimate consequence for that sin. Um, but again, I even think in that there's, there's just, there's even just sort of a, there was an opportunity to repent. There was an opportunity to, you know, Lot even kind of uh, wrestles with God on their destruction in terms of finding one righteous man. So um, it was just a very corrupt place. And um, again, it was it was kind of one of those arguments that like I was really kind of starting to go, okay, maybe there's some validity to this. Maybe it is our our 20th century American view on an Old Testament scripture, and it really didn't have much to do with sexual immorality. And then I find this verse in Jude and even a scripture from a couple hundred years ago, and I'm like, well, no, there's, it's pretty consistent here. So, again, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I just know where I'm landing. And as I told Cam, I said, if I'm wrong and I get to heaven and I find out I'm wrong, I'm absolutely okay with that. Uh, sorry, my daughter just walked into the room and is <laughs> making signs at me, so I got distracted. If I get to heaven and I'm wrong about this, I will be absolutely thrilled. But I can't, with a clear conscience, tell another believer that this is okay for them to engage in. Uh, because if we get to heaven and this is the correct view, uh, there could be dire consequences if that's the case. And so... I just am not comfortable saying, yeah, you want to be that, you want to have that lifestyle, go for it. I just don't think the Bible supports that. And I would even say that Genesis 1 
God created man and woman. Jesus talking about Genesis 1 reemphasizes the importance of a man and a woman. Um, it is what the Bible teaches, and it's, I think, what God intended uh, from the get-go. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, what, I, what I hope is coming across is, you know, today's point, like, do, do I want a homosexual person to come to church? Yes. Absolutely. Do, do I, I mean, I want everyone to come to church, but I want everyone to come to church and be changed because of what they find in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And for each of us, that change is different and requires different sacrifices, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the points that, Jerome makes in his email to us is let me pull it up real quick here. Sorry, my phone turned off. Is that um, uh, the difference is that you're asking the gay person to sacrifice a huge part of what makes them a person. You know, we're wired for relational love on many levels, and that includes, but certainly not limited to sexuality. Obviously, a marriage relationship is not just a mode of sexual release. It's our relationship with God, two people, um, entering into a sacred covenant of love. And so um, avoiding an extramarital affair is not something that should be placed on the same level as asking someone to give a part of their God-ordained humanity. And while I understand what he's trying to say, I don't really think that it's a legitimate dispute. Like God asks different things of different people, right? Absolutely, yeah. It is a greater sacrifice on someone's life to go be a missionary in a country that's hostile towards Christians mm-hmm. than it is for me to live where I live. Yeah. And I don't feel called to be a missionary, never have. Right. But that person is giving up more, is potentially sacrificing, no, is sacrificing more and is potentially sacrificing their life because what God has called them to do. And so I don't think it's unreasonable that God would put different uh, or would, would ask certain people to sacrifice more than others. And that would be, you know, if someone is homosexual, would be sacrificing companionship. Because if, you know, we understand what Scripture says about how Jesus wants to be in relationship with us, that's the true companionship, right? Marriage is a picture mm-hmm. of our relationship with God. It is right. a, um, what's what I'm looking for? A metaphor, if you will, for what the true union is. Mm-hmm. And so if someone is homosexual or someone is just single— they, they may be heterosexual, but they, God has called them to live a life of celibacy. That is a sacrifice that person is making, whether they're homosexual or heterosexual. There are some people that God calls to be single for whatever reason. And their companionship, their relationship is with God, not with another person. And I think that's a, that is a huge sacrifice. And I don't mean to make light of that sacrifice in equating homosexuality to other sexual sin. I understand that not looking at porn 
is a far lesser sacrifice than not being married. Right. But if we, if we approach, you know, this from, I think the fact, not the opinion, the fact that God requires different things of different people, it makes sense. And sure, it's not fair, but that's, you know, being fair, like that goes out the door once you're an adult, right? Nothing about the world is fair. Nothing about God is fair. If, if, if God wanted to be fair, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. We all would have paid the price for our sin in the first place. Yep. So, uh, I guess kind of what I want to add to this is I think we all need to give each other a whole lot more grace on this one. I think, Uh, I think discussions like this between Jerome and between us and hopefully more listeners, like this is good to talk about. Even if at the end of the day we disagree like I don't, I don't respect Jerome any less. In fact, I respect him more because he was willing to give us resources and point us at podcasts and point us to articles and, and tell his story. Yeah, about how he has you know gone from from point A to point B on this, and even say, I know I'm probably not going to change your mind, but I still want to share with you my experience. Like that's I respect him even more for that, even though we don't agree. On how, and that's okay. We're allowed to disagree and still be Christians and still love Jesus and still respect each other and still be friends. Like, I feel like that's something that people are un- incapable of doing nowadays. Po- politics and religion, like, you can't disagree and still be friends. And if anything, I want this follow, you know, our original talk, uh, Jerome's follow up, and then our response and, and any potential responses down the road to be an example of we can disagree on something still love Jesus and still be friends and still respect one another. It's okay. It's, it's possible. It's a good thing to have people in your life that you disagree with stuff on. Cause how else are you going to learn or be exposed to different ways of thinking about things? Yeah. You know? Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with this is like, whether, you know, like we're not taking sides here as a, who you agree with, but just there's something about being in the discussion and being in the middle, like being in the tension, being where things aren't easy, that is healthy and good for us. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you look at the way Jesus lived his life, Jesus was not you know, on team A or team B. He was always somewhere in the middle trying to pull people to the uncomfortable, to the tension, to the place where change happens. And change doesn't happen when you're with all your teammates and buddies who think the same things as you do, whether, you know, you're liberal or progressive or, or no liberal or conservative or, you know, Baptist or Catholic, but in the middle where, where, you know, Jesus is, is bringing, you know, he's meeting with rabbis, but he's also meeting with prostitutes. He's, you know, he takes fishermen like, and he's always bringing people away from the edges and into the middle where things are mucky and dirty and not clean but that's where life happens. That's where change happens. That's where, you know, truth is revealed. That's where people learn from each other. And if this discussion can be just a glimpse of that, like, cool, that's fantastic. Like that's where I think more of us need to be and to be okay with, with not agreeing and to be okay with maybe being wrong. Like Dave said, it would be 
it would be really, really easy. Or it would be easier if we were wrong. I, I would love to be wrong on this and have that con- like, and have that piece of God going, yeah, you need to change your view on this. I'm not there. And, and even as I say that, it's just like, I don't put, like, I don't put personally, Dave Hogue does not put people who are homosexual in this category of you're a special sinner. No, like you're just, Cam, you're just a person. Cam, you're a sinner. Like, I'm a sinner. Yeah. We are all sinners and we all need Jesus. So there's not even this like, uh, well, how could you love me because you think, you know, what I am is a sin. No. I it, think, I, yeah, that, it, it, it applies to everybody. I, I view all humanity as really, we're all pretty deprived because I, I know we all have secrets. I know we all think things that we would just be absolutely appalled if other people knew that we've thought, you know, just our thoughts, not, not even so much our actions, but, and um, we are just so in need of him and I am in need of him. And I know my depravity and my sexual sin. I mean, I'm not even claiming I don't have sexual sin. I do. Um, Because lust is a part of, um, is a part of my daily struggle as, as a human being. And again, anyway, I'm not trying to categorize anything. I'm just saying we're all sinners and I include myself in that. Yeah, one thing um, I do want to make sure that I mention um, is uh, the thing that Jerome wrote that had me the most intrigued and had me asking the most questions and something that I need to think a lot more on, like long term, Mm -hmm. is he said, um, another important realization came when my graduate studies caused me to reflect on what sex and gender really are. I distinctly remember the lecture where intersex people were discussed. It blew my mind. And I think I'm on my way to that conclusion. Um, Should we define sex by a person's chromosomes? But there are people who have two X chromosomes and a Y chromosome and others who uh, have only one X chromosome without a Y chromosome. So XX and XY make male and female. Mm -hmm. So XXY or just X. So not the typical. Mm-hmm. Um, so should we define it by the external genitalia? But there are some people who have external male or female parts and internally are the opposite. Which is crazy to just contemplate, you know, how that would affect a person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, and then there are the people who have truly ambiguous external parts. Uh, It may feel easy to dismiss these people as uncommon or simply as medical accidents, but they are actually relatively common, and if we just dismiss them as accidents, I think we are missing an important opportunity to discover something about ourselves. I think that you guys would agree that the people with Down syndrome, three copies of chromosome 21, and other such things, have an important thing to teach us about humanity and the kingdom of God. If that is the case, why would intersex people be any different? So once I realize that sex and gender are truly a spectrum, I really began to delve into what the Bible says regarding LGBT inclusion, and that's when I began reading perspectives, reading different perspectives on the issue. Um, he says, 
I want to stress this point that sex and gender are a spectrum because the scientific and medical research really back it up, and I often become frustrated with the ignorance of conservative Christians who refuse to concede this. I know you guys are busy, so I don't expect you to be able to do a ton of research, but I think these TED Talks would be helpful. So that's like that side of it to me is incredibly interesting. And I think he's right that there is a lot to learn about that for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And so I think of anything that, and he, I mean, he shared multiple resources, you know, like it was the most thorough follow up oh, we've ever gotten. Yeah, like absolutely. seriously, dude, total double high five. Um, that to me is at least from my perspective right now, very interesting and compelling to try and figure out. Well, and, and just even the fact that hormones determine the sex in the womb. I mean, there's, you know, there's that, you can influence that by what gets introduced. I mean, we can even fiddle with that from a, you know, scientific, you know, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah. So anyways, um, I wanted to end on that note because, or end the follow-up section on that note, because it's just that, that's really interesting. Yeah. And it's not an easy answer. No, 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 it's, it's not. And it's just, it's, you tell people that and what? (laughs) And yeah, the whole dismissing people thing, like that's just, that's bogus. Um, so anyways, that's it for follow-up. Um, we're going to dive into, uh, John, one, because we only got through five verses last time. Yep. So uh, real quick, if you want to send in follow-up, please do so. Um, you can do that at hello at supermegacorp.net. That's our email. Um, you can also get us on Twitter. David is at David J. Hogue. I am at Cam Brennan. And um, really would genuinely love to hear from you guys, uh, your thoughts about this. Um, not not what side you're taking, but just what what are you what are you wrestling with? What where have where's your kind of thought process on this been? Where's it going? Um, because again, we want to have a discussion. We want to be civil. We want to respect one another, um, even though we might disagree. And I think that's a really healthy thing. And uh, one more time, Jerome, thanks so much for writing in. Um, really, really appreciate it, man. Uh, so with that said. Let's move on to our passage. So we're at John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gave light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's verse 16. We're going to go yeah, through 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He made him known. All right. There we are. So, this is John 
mm-hmm. talking about John. Yes. Same John, different John. Um, I hope it's a different John because that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. So John the Apostle is talking about John the Baptist. Yep. Some good descriptive names there. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia just made her podcast debut. And, said, and just said a crap on. She she said a swear. No, crap's not a swear word. She we shared at church one Sunday, and she did the same thing. <laughs> That's her panic word. It is her. It, it, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, straight from Dave's basement. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyways, so. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light mm-hmm. that all might believe through him. So yeah, John the Baptist. So why was John the Baptist necessary? Why did he have to? Per- uh, if, if, God, if the Son of God is coming, why does he need somebody to? Cause that's kind of like asking like, why was Flava Flav necessary? <laughs> yeah. Every Messiah needs a hype man, Dave. <laughs> and that's the show title for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and that's... he was and he was very different. He wore. Um, very basic clothing and ate very basic food and lived a very simple. Yeah, simple. he was kind of like the uh, he. You know what? <laughs> Bear Grylls must be his descendant. <laughs> All right, enough jokes. Um, <laughs> never enough jokes. Uh, so why was John the Baptist necessary? Well, uh, prophecy first of all. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think. Like any time, people don't deal well with change. This is true. Like, if you do, you are a rare, rare, rare person. And Jesus is like the ultimate change agent, if I can use a leadership term. Um, He changed everything. I mean, even the way we track time changed when he showed up. Even if you're not an uh, AD, BC person, you're BC and BCE, and it still changes on the dude, even though you want to take his name out of it. It's yeah, still, it's still, because, it's of still because of him, which I just chuckle about. Like internally, I'm like, that's, you're, you're trying to take him out of it, but it's not like you're just shifting it by 10 years. You're just changing the terms you use, which is funny to me. That is kind of funny. Um, but anyways, so yeah, so huge change, change coming. Like the biggest change we've ever seen. So I feel like God knows us, maybe, just a little bit, mm-hmm. and decided it would be beneficial to maybe buffer that change with the crazy guy, you know, as like a little ramp towards what was coming. Because I feel like going for like nothing for 400 years, like no prophecy. Was, say, was there anything going on in no, the Bible? Right. nothing. So 400 years between like, Old There Testament. was the Maccabean revolt, but other than that, like, That's kind of as historical. far as the biblical, the biblical canon is concerned... Like nothing for like 400 years. Just straight up radio silence from upstairs. And then Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I feel like John the Baptist was like a little speed bump before you crash into the wall. Gotcha. That, just, you know, mm-hmm. just a guess. Um, Fair enough. And his whole message was... Repent. For, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah, like... I know it's been quiet for a while, guys, but just wait. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm warning you. Mm-hmm. Something's coming that you are not ready for. Right. So that's, just, that's my 
my my two cents on on why he was necessary. Okay. So then we talk about the light. Yes. So he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So again, repetitive here, but trying to make a point, right? So in the beginning was the word. So Jesus was the word. And now he's being referred to as the light. And earlier it says, uh, the the way we get to there is verse four, and him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is that light. John came to bear witness about the light, and now we get to verse 9, where it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And, like, thinking about that is pretty interesting. He made everything. And they didn't know him. It's like, it's like sad. <laughs> it is sad. You know? Yeah. I absolutely. And then, and then to be the creator walking through your world and not have people know who you are. Or worse, know who you are and choose to turn away anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, man. So, what were you going to say? Well, I, actually, kind of on to the next verse a little bit, even as it said, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Uh, I assume that's the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. So, I would, uh, but I, I think yes on a macro, but on a micro, his own family. Everybody. Oh, his own family. Good call. So his mom was like, um, yo, you need to stop. Because I'm sure that's how Mary talked. <laughs> um, Jesus. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. And mom, technically I'm the one person that doesn't apply to. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And that's when Jesus escapes magically through the crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, so his own people on the macro and on the micro, for sure. Um, Except for those that did receive him, um, who believed in his name and have the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And that's, I think, where we get the phrase born again. Yep. Of the Spirit. Yes. Baptized. So, like, we're, we're blowing through this, but I think, like, key things to consider. In him was life. The life was the light of men. So whenever we see the true light or Jesus is the light, like that is life, right? So life came into the world and the world was made through that life, yet the world did not know that life. So like the whole idea of being spiritually dead makes a lot more sense in this context, Mm -hmm. I think. Sure. Especially when you consider that when you receive him, you are then born again, right? And so you've got all these people in the world not recognizing life when they see it and choosing to remain in their death. Mm -hmm. And then only those who see the light and the life that that is and accept it are then born in in God. Which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, like, if there's ever, like, a good metaphor for what's happening, that's it right there. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know about you guys. I witnessed my daughter being born. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a process you don't forget. <laughs> it's amazing. And she wound up having a C-section after 18 hours of labor. Oh, gosh. And so I got to watch them. And if you get grossed out by the stuff, just hit fast forward. Like, cut her open, pull organs out, and then remove a child. And I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my wife was just, like, not having it. She was like, shut up. Like, <laughs> not, not at all happy that I was, like, enjoying what was happening. Um, but, like, you don't forget doing that process or witnessing that process, sure. right? It is one of the memories that you just, you'll never forget. And, and I'm guessing Mare didn't get to see it. Oh, no, 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 no. She, she was like... So you actually got to see more than she I did. was standing right next to her head, mm-hmm. and she, there's like a sheet, mm-hmm. so she can't see, and she's hopped up on like all oh, sorts yeah. of drugs. Like, she didn't know where she was, what was going on. She kept apologizing like over and over. I'm sorry, I'm, you know. And I'm, walk, I'm looking over the thing just like, oh my God, it's the Discovery Channel, but I can see. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm two feet away. <laughs> And the doctors like cracking jokes the whole time, and they had like the classic rock station on in the in the surgery room, and uh, I forget what song was playing. He goes, "Oh, I think your uh, your daughter's gonna be oh, it's Def Leppard. You're gonna be born to Def Leppard." It's like, well, it could be worse. And then a Kia commercial comes on. <laughs> I was like, "Yep, this is definitely worse." <laughs> so, anyways, the the whole the whole point of me, you know, getting a bit uh, visual there was that you know the metaphor of of death to life or of birth, you know, that's a, that is a visual graphic, memorable, uh, meaningful metaphor for what's happening. And I don't even know if it is a metaphor. It probably, I mean, it's like uh, yeah. legit what's actually happening. Well, cause Nicodemus, is it Jesus and Nicodemus? Mm-hmm. I mean, is, I mean, cause that's also the, you must be born again. And he says, how do I reenter the womb mm-hmm. and that? So, yeah, I, I'm. I guess I'm. I lean more towards. I think it's more than just a metaphor. I definitely think there's a. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You know. And then the other thing, I just. Um, I'm guessing I'm. Well. Neither here nor there. With a little bit more life experience than. As I get older, I'm starting to realize. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people that I would thought were Christians would have considered Christians just leave the faith. And uh, I've often wondered what the, what really happens at the rebirth for these folks. And I know it's the whole uh, saved by grace and all that kind of stuff. No, are we going to do one saved, always no, no, saved no, yeah, but, no, 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 <sighs> no, no. but what I'm saying is, is just that, yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying in terms of the rebirth and just wonder, did they really ever have a rebirth when five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years down the road, they are no longer following. And uh, the other thing I would just say to people is that if you happen to be in high school or college, the things that people are going to tell you are important are probably not. So. Long obedience in the same direction. Indeed. So. All right. So. And the word became flesh, a, a sort of birth of his own. Mm-hmm. Away in a manger. 
Yes. It's not Christmas yet, but I thought I would go there. Anyways, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, uh, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. All right, let's stop there. Because John likes to use very circuitous circuitous, uh, writing. So, word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was born, grew up as a carpenter's kid. Yep. Uh, We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What's he talking about there? Um... Well, I think grace and truth are, well, if you, one of the things that I've often heard said is grace, grace and truth equals love, or love is, is grace and truth together. Um, and so uh, then ultimately God is love. So uh, I think there, I, I, I think one of the things that we are just seeing here is that he has come from the Father. Grace and truth are central to who he is. He knows nothing. I I, I don't believe that Jesus, uh, even acting as a um, um, ambassador or representative of the, you know, he he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He can do anything but tell the truth. But he's not going to lie. God can't lie. And I think he's not going to do anything but provide you with grace. And then I guess like the grace piece, I'm kind of like, because he's definitely not, I mean, he's not, Jesus is not like the uh, um, cosmic, you know, make my wishes come true genie type person. So grace and truth, you know, are essential to who he is and what he gives to us. Uh, I guess if we reject the truth and we reject the grace, that's when the consequences of our sin come into play and we have to deal with that. But that's what who he is and what he brings to us. And he brings that from the Father because that's, in essence, who he is and who the Father is. Does that answer that question? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that it's right. I mean, anyway. All right. That was one of my favorite, like when I do weddings versus was grace and truth and kind of breaking that down. So can't you tell by the ramblings that I'm doing right now? No, I'm laughing because anytime someone says I break it down, I just picture them like freestyle rapping. <laughs> it just it makes me chuckle. There's a kid, not a kid. He was, he's a year or two older than I am, I think. Maybe a year or two younger. I worked at the bank with. And uh, he would always ask customers, like, is he giving change back? Would you like me to break that 20 down for you? And I'm like, yeah, man, break it down. Uh, <laughs> and if, like, you knew who he was, it would be, like, the perfect comedy sketch. Oh, yeah. It, just, it was perfect, but. Yeah, I'm, 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 hearing, I'm hearing young MC bust, uh, bust a move, break <laughs> it down for me, fellas. <laughs> what just comes bust next? Just move. bust a move. Wow. All right. Um <laughs> All right, for from his fullness we have received all grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. All right. 
I mean, that part seems pretty straightforward to me. Mm-hmm. So I guess one question, though, is, so for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, does that mean that there's no grace and truth in the law? Oof. Well, there's, I would say there's truth. I mean, because that's, I guess there's an element of what I view the truth is the purpose of the, or the purpose of the law is to, to reveal to us our sin. And so if it's revealing our sin to us, hopefully it's revealing the truth of what our sin is. And then is there grace? I would not equate grace with the law. Well, does the fact that the law even exists, is that a grace? That God is even willing to That he's even willing to, to reveal it to us? Sin. Yeah. yeah. To tell us to tell sure. us how we're messing up. That's a good way to Yeah. I, I yeah, because we we have to have that. Yeah, and I, and I don't I don't think necessarily that the law and grace are mutually exclusive. No. No, no, no. Um I think it's really easy as, you know, Christians, when and where we live, to see the law as, like, God is the bad cop, and then New Testament God is the good cop. Mm-hmm. I'm like, have y'all read Revelation? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, bad cop shows up real strong. Um, or even in, you know, Jesus' woes to the different churches and how, you know, like, there's there's plenty of, uh, you know, spit and vinegar mm-hmm. left. Um but I just, I think it would be an interesting thing to read through the Old Testament law looking for grace and seeing how often it pops up. Like, and I'm talking like the historical books and all that stuff too, like the manna from heaven, the, yeah, escape, there's from, definitely, the escape from Egypt, yeah. Joseph's redemption. Like, Oh, there's definitely grace in terms of, yes. So I, I just, even the way that like you responded to that question is like, I think we just think of the law as like, sure. do this, don't do that, do this, which it is, but I think that cuts it short of what the intention and the delivery of it was. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I guess even things that we've mentioned are, is that the law or is that still God interceding? on behalf of humanity. Like, is the manna, is that the law? But there were rules about the manna, right? Well, there's definitely rules, yeah. And people still didn't mm-hmm. follow the rules. And then got super mad that all they had was manna, and they're like, we wish we were back in Egypt, because we're stupid. Give us quail, or yeah. give us meat. So... And he sent quail. Yeah, God is definitely a God of grace. And that's, again, I... But my point is, like, he's, he, he is gracious even before he sends Jesus. Absolutely. And, like, I think it's really easy. Absolutely. I think it's really easy to interpret the Old Testament as, like, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the God, you know, in, like, the Judge Judy outfit with the galactic gavel and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but I think if you read the Old Testament with the New Testament in mind, knowing what's coming, like God did, not like, the, you know, the people of the Old Testament did— He's laying the groundwork for what makes Jesus so spectacular. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he's showing the people, and, and, you know, like some arguments might be like, well, that's totally unfair, and God's, you know, toying with the lives of people. But, like, y- you have to understand, he made us. He's not toying with us. His timeline is in every way different than our timeline. Right. He doesn't exist within time. He exists. He made time. 
Right. Time is his creation. Right. And so for him to tell a narrative over thousands and thousands of years, that's his prerogative. He, he's the only one that can do that. Right. I don't know about you, Dave. I'm not going to live that long. Nope. At least not here. Yeah. Not on earth. Only, only when the heavens come to <laughs> earth. So anyways, um, yeah. When people, when, when people make the argument that, that God doesn't love us because bad things happen or even that God allows bad things to happen. Like I try not to get mad about it because I don't want to. Usually when they say that it's from a place of pain Mm -hmm. or trauma or, um, emotional, um, pain, I guess is the word I'm going to repeat myself. Um, but because I'm not, you know, talking to someone directly right now like i just i think it's a short-sighted response yeah and like i I don't mean to disrespect you or to make little of you know the pain or hurt that you have in your life right now but remembering that god is operating on a totally different time scale than us like it doesn't belittle your pain and i and it's that you have to deal with that but your pain doesn't blind God from the overall story. No. You know? And, and I, you know, you still even look at what Jesus went through. So God understands pain. So God understands pain and he can, I mean, he can create you. You can have the most miserable existence for a hundred years and he can still be a just and good God. That book of Job is probably a great example of that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the creator. He is God. And I just, I always think it's interesting when people are like, I can't believe in a God like that, or, you know, whatever phrase you want to use. And it's kind of like, uh, he's God. I don't think he really cares. You know, and I don't mean to belittle what anybody's, like you said, people are often coming from pain when they say those things. But um. I, 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 the word that's kept, the, the the phrase that's come to mind is getting too big for our britches. Like I really just have this sense of just like, you know, it's about an infinite, eternal God, finite human beings. Our opinion doesn't matter a whole lot, you know. And I don't mean that flippantly. It's just we, I think we need to do a better job as humanity knowing our place. Good luck with that. <laughs> Anyways, all right. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's a tricky sentence. Like, I, I get the overall point is that Jesus has made God known. But no one has ever seen God. It's just a, it's just a, I want to like know what the Greek is. Not that that would help, because I haven't really studied Greek since <laughs> I was in college, but um, let me pull up a different translation to see how they handle it. All right, so I've got the uh, New American Standard here, and it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Ooh, that helps. So, NIV, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, 
and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Okay. So we have closest relationship with the Father, the Father's side or in the bosom, and then the only God, the only begotten God, and the Son, who is also God. There's a lot of different um, options there. That is interesting. And then you have the old message. Oh, boy. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. That's such a hippie phrase, this one and only <laughs> one-of-a-kind God expression. Yeah. Go paint some happy trees. hmm Anyways, so there's your different translation options. If you are um, into the Greeks, you can look there, too. And if you do, like, write in. Because like I said, it's been a long time since I studied Greek. That wouldn't be any help. But if you are a uh, student or scholar happening to be listening... And you know you know the Greeks real good. Let us know. Yeah, please, seriously, because that there's a lot there. Otherwise, we may never re- revisit this again. Oh, sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't want to end on such a downer. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. That's sad. Well, I'm just gonna fake a happy ending and call it good. Um, that's it for episode 101, folks. Thanks so much for listening. To our awesome Patreon supporters will be Rachel and Katie. We say thank you. We don't say it enough. No, we do not. Um, mainly because I'm a horrible person to forget. That's the truth. But I remember this time. Good job. Um, if you guys want to know what our Patreon supporters are and what it all entails, you can go to patreon.com slash supermegacorp and check out the cool rewards and a really not great video that Dave and I made that I keep saying in hopes that one day we'll re-record. And you can get the show notes at supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 107. And uh, say hi on the internet. Links are in the show notes. Bye. Bye.